All right, Pablito, take us back to the 80s, brother. All right, everybody, welcome to the Mike is Always Right podcast. As usual, I am your host, Mike, and studies will show long from now when they unearth my fossil and they find my dead bones that I was, in fact, always right. So I am so happy to come to you today. One, we haven't done an episode in a while. There's just been a lot of things going on, and I'm so excited to be able to introduce you to the Attorney General candidate, Adam Jarko. He is an amazing guy. I I poke fun with him because trying to learn his last name and how it's spelled was really fun uh, being a, a guy from the South. But he has got a lot to say, mainly about law and order, mainly about police morale, mainly about how the state of Wisconsin interacts with the federal government, really how he plans to run the DOJ in Wisconsin. And it was a great interview being able to sit down and talk with him and really get some clear definition as to what he wants to do. He was a state representative. Uh, he's a father, husband, businessman, super nice guy. Please, please, please take the time, listen to this interview and enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mike is Always Right podcast. Uh, I am here today as a part of of our Campaign for Patriots, our Victory for Patriots series. This is the first episode in that. And we're going to talk to Adam Garcho. Cho, chow, cho. Come on, correct me on it, Adam, because I want to make sure my audience knows exactly how to pronounce it. You did close. It's Jarko. Jarko. Okay. So, and, and that's just, that's tongue in cheek. I know how to pronounce it. Just, I, I, we were talking earlier offline about me being from the South. And so sometimes it's hard to pronounce those, those wacky uh, Northern, <laughs> Northern names. So Adam is running for the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin. And I'm so excited to have him here today. Adam, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So we're going to get into some more of the historical things about you and, and, and Adam and I have talked offline about, you know, perhaps doing more interviews in the future because um, Adam is going to be in a race. Um, Adam is going to be in a race, not only against other um, more right-leaning Republican candidates, but then taking on um, the current knucklehead AG, um, you know, in the general. So there is a, a long road ahead. So I wanted to kind of introduce the audience to you. Who are you? All of that great stuff. So tell me about you. Tell me where you grew up. Tell me what formed your uh, sort of life view and how you view things, Adam. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I I grew up in western Wisconsin, went to school in a small town called Clear Lake, and lived out in the country, Uh, got couple of brothers that I grew up with. And um, after I graduated high school, went to went to college and law school was the first in my family to graduate uh, from college and was fortunate to do reasonably well at a pretty good law school. So I ended up working at some pretty big law firms and um, got married. And when my wife and I decided to have kids, we moved back home and I've been back here for a little over a dozen years. Um, We have eight year old twins. And um, we are small business people and we own some small businesses. I still practice law in a solo law firm now. So I've gone from the big international law firms all the way down to a solo law practice, spent a couple of terms in the legislature during governor Walker's term and um, cut a pretty, a pretty decent reputation as a conservative fighter. Got a lot of very conservative bills passed and signed into law by the governor. And then I 
um, decided that that was enough. I'm not a big fan of career politicians. And so I did not run for reelection. Country was in a great place at the time. We had Donald Trump as president, um, Scott Walker, Brad Schimmel, conservative majorities. And then shortly thereafter, it began, began to unravel. We lost Walker and Schimmel and, um, and then um, lost Donald Trump a couple of years later. And now the Democrats have us on this terrible path. And I'm not comfortable with the idea of sitting back while our country disintegrates. So I've decided to jump back into, into public life and I'm going to run for attorney general. So does it seem like, and, and, and this is something I've, I, in, you know, internal conversations with my friends and, and whatnot, does it seem like it got really bad, really quick? Like, like it seemed, it seemed to really unravel, right? I mean, this, um, and specifically I'll, I'll kind of talk to you about this almost lawlessness that is going on, um, all around the country, but specifically in the state. I mean, it, it seemed like we were good, then we weren't, right? It went incredibly fast, and I just never thought I would see a day where a bureaucrat thought that they had the power to sign a piece of paper that purported to tell people they couldn't go to church, or they couldn't operate their business, or their kids couldn't go, go to school. And then, uh, you know, I never thought I'd see a day where we have our cities being burned down by thugs, they're looting and rioting. And not only does our governor and attorney general not do anything about it, they literally threw gas on that fire. And so I've, one thing after the next, both in Washington and Madison, we have lawlessness coming from the top, which of course then bleeds down into the entire, into the entire state and country. And we are on the absolute wrong path. The Democrats are being led around the, by their noses by AOC and the squad and they have our country going down a deep, dark hole. And we, we need to reverse course immediately or we will never dig out of this hole. Well, it's, it seems like, and, and, and this is tongue in cheek, and this is, this is a joke um, that is very sad to say, but it seems like we're getting to the point where we're literally having Milwaukee stand, right? Like it looks like a third world uh, country over there with the murders and the carjackings and, just the absolute lawlessness. Do you think it's almost a um, blood in the water type scenario where these criminals, these thugs, these people who are career criminals, let's just be honest, career criminals, that this is what they do. They kind of sense that you have this, this knucklehead in there, Josh Call. Um, they have him in there. We're not going to be, uh, you know, prosecuted. We're going to get slaps on the wrist. All of these people are more about compassion and love while I steal the shirt off your back. I mean, does it seem like this is kind of, you know, the message that's being put out? Oh, it doesn't seem like it. It is the message that's being put out from Josh Call all the way down to prosecutors like John Chisholm in Milwaukee. And as I say, it's even bleeding out into the outer part of the state. You see sometimes even Republican prosecutors taking on this sort of woke leftist mantra. They have the, the low bail. We don't want to put anyone in jail. We don't like incarceration. And we're paying the price for it. And the people in not only Milwaukee are paying the price, but horrifically, we saw the people in Waukesha pay the price with that massacre a few weeks ago. And not only do they, again, they don't lift a finger, but they, they're, they're complicit in this because this is their agenda. 
there's an, a, there's an interview from like 2007 with John Chisholm where he specifically says somebody will get out of prison on my, on my policies and they will kill somebody someday. And that's just something that we're going to have to deal with so that we don't have this incarceration. It's a totally unacceptable mindset from people who are supposed to be um, supporting our law enforcement officers. And oh, by the way, not only do they not support them, they continue to throw our law enforcement officers uh, under the bus. And, and now we have morale issues with our, with our law enforcement officers. You talk to any agency and they will tell you they are having terrible time with recruitment and retention of, of um, law enforcement officers. It's just, it's just unbelievable where we are. Well, and it's curious. I mean, let's let's be honest. If we're throwing all of our cards out on the table um, right now in 2021, why in the hell would you want to be a cop, right? Why why would you want to go into this profession when you're going to see the same people? You arrest them in the a.m. by six o'clock in the p.m. They're out, right, because of low bail and and all of that. Uh, you're not going to get the sort of backing that you need. You're not going to make the sort of money that you you could as far as the whole, you know, defund the police. Uh, let's reimagine our, you know, uh, ecosystem for crime and, and all of the garbage that's coming out from all of these different liberal places. Um and then once something happens and you do have to use force, you do have to um, do something that's probably the worst day ever uh, in a cop's life. Um, we're going to prosecute you no matter what it looks like, no matter what it looks like, we're going to prosecute you because that's what the people are calling for. So let me let me ask you this. So so you made a conscious decision and I, and I want to get into that mentality really quick that said you're going to run for office again. What's that conversation like with your wife, with your family? What's that conversation like that says, hey, um, uh, we're in a war, kids. I, I need to go off and help fight this. What was that conversation like internally with your family? Yeah, those are tough conversations. Uh, running a statewide campaign and thinking about you know, having a statewide office, you just know that from the moment you put your name out there, you're going to get your teeth kicked in by everybody, right? I mean, even, you know, from the right to the left, it doesn't matter. When there's a primary, you're going to get your teeth kicked in from the right. And, and when you're running in a general election, you're going to get your teeth kicked in from the left. And you're going to be traveling, you're going to be on the road. It's a, it was a long conversation with my family, with the people that help us run our businesses to get to this place. But the more I thought about it, and the more I talked through it with my family and friends, um, I I, I just couldn't see sitting back and allowing this to continue to happen with, without at least giving Republican primary voters a choice. And if they choose the other guy, I can live with that. Uh, I, ha I have you know, a great life with a great family, great businesses. But what I can't live with is the idea that we're not going to at least stand up and fight right now. This is the time for action. It is not the time to sit on the sidelines. And my wife is an incredible woman and she's been incredibly supportive and she feels it too. We have eight-year-old kids and she doesn't want to leave them a disaster of a state. And she firmly believes that we're on the wrong track and she, she, wants, she wants to play her part and play her role as well in, in fixing this mess. So let me let me ask you this and and we'll get into more policy stuff here in just a minute and kind of see what that looks like because I I think honestly a lot of people when they hear attorney general what they think about is 
somebody suing the government, right? So something goes wrong. Um, there are violations of not only the U.S. Constitution, but maybe the Constitution for the state of Wisconsin. There is a, a butting of heads there. The attorney general says, you're not going to do that. And, you know, we, we sue the federal government. A lot of people see that as, you know, what the attorney general does. We'll get into what the attorney general does and policies and whatnot here in a minute. But the last question about you specifically as a person, what were some of your influences? What are some of the influences when you're 12, 13, 14, 16 years old that began to shape your worldview that said, you know, no, um, I believe this conservative way, this freedom, this, you know, small government, uh, you know, mentality. What were some of those influences that influenced you? Yeah, I was a really lucky kid. I grew up out in the country without any of these cares. We would swim in the trout stream and fish in the trout stream all summer long. My parents didn't have to worry about whether we were going to get nabbed and we were just out with friends running around out in the country, um, camping and hunting and fishing. I mean, that's how I grew up and had a great little school that I went to that I'm so thankful for, gave me a great education and a great start and allowed me to to get into college. And it really wasn't until college where I had a political awakening and it was in the late nineties. And, you know, it was during the, um, the, the Clinton, the end of the Clinton administration and all of that, what was going on there with the Clinton administration and, and him personally got me interested. And then of course we had the Bush v. Gore election and um, I lived in Florida. That's where I went to college and law school. So you were a was, part of the hanging chads. That was you. Yes, huh? That And I actually went to college in Tampa, which is in, the, in that I-4 corridor that they always talk about, the yep. swingy part of Florida. Yep. And um, so I was there for that. And I was a volunteer, you know, uh, on the Bush campaign and helped out. And it was incredibly interesting. And then I've just never looked back um, from there as I began to understand how not just the presidential politics, I think that's where people kind of get interested, but more and more how our local politics, how our school boards and our town boards and our county boards impact our daily lives. And we have never seen it more important than we've seen it in the last two years with what our school boards and town boards and county boards have the power to do. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, one of the great influences in my life has been my, uh, my dad. He's a Marine um, that served in Vietnam and, and a small business owner in he just doesn't put up with anything. <laughs> and so uh, it was it was an interesting childhood to be raised by somebody like that. And um, I, I'm thankful that I, I had that kind of no nonsense childhood. And it's allowed me to think through these issues about should we really be dependent on government or should we go out and be free to make our own way in this world and make our own choices in this world? And I think that's the biggest difference between our worldview and their worldview. We believe that we should be free to our own way. They want everyone to be dependent on government. And it's just a, a stark difference that we see more and more every day. So now you referenced this and I, and I got to ask you, how many brothers do you have? Um, I, I always joke. I have two and a half because I have a half brother <laughs> that uh, my, my dad was married before he met my, my mom. And um, so I've got two brothers that live around here and one that, that my half brother lives in California. Okay. So where do, where do you fall on the spectrum? Are you the oldest, the middle, the youngest? Yeah, I'm the oldest of the three, and then my half brother is older than me. 
Okay, okay. Because if you were a middle, that that may have just ended your candidacy right there. My, I, I, I have, <laughs> I have two younger brothers, and you know the middle is is always causing problems, uh, and, and then the youngest is always you know being babied. And so it's it's just funny, you know where where does all that sit when somebody says I'm a middle child? I always kind of raise my eyebrow, and you know I watch them a little closer. But no, 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 the firstborns, man, the eldest. We we got it. We got it going on. So talk to me a little bit about the attorney general position. So people see president, they know what a president does. Um, vice president, although nowadays nobody knows what the hell she does. Um, I shouldn't do much. Um, they, they know what, what congressional folks do. They know Supreme court. They know all these different things, right? That's in the forefront of the psyche of most Americans that are even partway paying attention. Right. Talk to me about what exactly the attorney general does. What is this, what is this position? I know that it's important for Wisconsin. Tell me what the AG does. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it in terms of why it's important for Wisconsin. So at bottom, the attorney general is the CEO of a gigantic agency called the Department of Justice. There's something like 700, 750 employees at the Department of Justice. And the attorney general, of course, is the CEO of that agency. And and as CEO, and I kind of, I, I equate this because I, I, like I said, my wife and I run small businesses. Your job as attorney general is to run that agency. So your job is to put the right people in the right place at the right time, set the policy direction, and, and then make sure as a manager that the employees, the managers are carrying out that direction and be able to hold them accountable and incentivize them to get to that those places and those goals. So a couple of the really important things that we see that the Attorney General does. So first and foremost, DOJ is the premier law enforcement support agency in the state. Um, they have a number of divisions at DOJ that support the law enforcement function. For example, the, the Division of Criminal Investigations does a lot of the statewide investigations and it helps local law enforcement with um, some, some of their bigger or more complicated crimes. You have the Law Enforcement Support Services uh, Division. You have prosecutors at DOJ that not only serve a community prosecutor function, but also serve in, in some of the, the few places where DOJ has what's called original jurisdiction to prosecute crimes. Um, and then when you get outside kind of the law enforcement function, one of the things that you mentioned is they sue the federal government. It's never been more important, that role, because Josh Call refuses to play that role. And you see other attorneys general from around the country suing the Biden administration for its overreach and lawlessness. A great example of that are all of his illegal vaccine mandates. Most of those cases that have blocked the vaccine mandates have been started by Republican attorneys general from around the country. The other, a couple of the other notable things that they're doing, for example, is they're suing him for refusing to build uh, the border wall. That's in the law, and he refuses to follow uh, the law. Um, because then, why would we follow laws? Why would we follow no, laws, right? Well, what I've told people is, I think we're probably, as Republicans, going to have a pretty decent election year in 2022 if we don't screw it up. Um, and if we do, we get rid of Pelosi, we get rid of Sh Chuck Schumer, we get rid of Tony Evers, and we get rid of Josh Call. 
But the one guy we're not going to get rid of is Joe Biden. Yeah. And you just remember what Barack Obama did in his after he lost the Congress. He started just governing illegally by executive order. He said, will, he said and will, I quote, I got a pen and I got my phone. That's exactly right. And this that's is where exactly. we went, right? And, and you, that's going to be pen and phone on steroids once Biden loses the Congress. And we are going to need attorneys general who will fight every single day against what comes out of Washington because it'll be him through executive orders and his agencies issuing illegal um, administrative rules. And, you know, what I've told people is if we have to sue Joe Biden every single day for the last two years of his presidency to make him follow the law, that's exactly what we'll do. A couple of the other things that are really important that the attorney general does, for example, is um, they play a large role in policing the administrative agencies in, in Madison. I like to call it the Madison swamp and the deep state bureaucrats in Madison, because those folks, as you know, are pretty leftist. And they don't like to follow the law when there's a Republican governor and Republican majorities. They like to push, push the envelope as much as possible, possible to put forth their leftist views. And the attorney general plays a huge role in reining in the, uh, the agencies. Then, of course, the other thing the attorney general does is um, defends Wisconsin laws. And so one of the really important places that that's likely to come up or potentially going to come up is we have a case pending before the United States Supreme Court called Dobbs that could overrule uh, Roe. And if it does, Wisconsin has a, a law in the books making abortion illegal. Josh Call has already said he will not enforce Wisconsin law. Well, um, as attorney general, I sure will enforce Wisconsin law. Okay, so let me let me break this down. And, and so this comes down to more policy stuff right now so we have seen josh call we have seen cities burning we have seen thugs released we have seen what happens when you have these liberal leftist uh county prosecutors hey oh my gosh did you kill somebody okay well i'm gonna let you out for a hundred bucks because i don't want you in our jails you come back now and don't do anything to those witnesses yeah because that really makes a lot of sense um and, and we've seen and and this this is what blows my mind this this guy in in, in the, the the parade guy i don't even want to name his name because i don't want to give him that credit talks about how he feels like he's being demonized and he's a monster well, bro, you do monster things, you're going to be labeled as such. Um, talk to me about things like bail reform. Talk to me about, okay, we've done a couple more interviews, you and I. We've gotten through the, the um, you know, initial candidacy. We're doing the general election, win the election. Now, boom, you're AG. What are two or three things that, you know, day one, week one, month one, you're saying, this is, this is the direction we're going to go? What, what are those top two or three priorities for you? Yeah, so priority number one, um, with, the, with re respect to the law enforcement function in particular, is going to, to be to restore the cut that Josh Call has made to the law enforcement function. He cut the prosecutors at DOJ in half, um, and he's put out directives related to how, how the law enforcement function will work. And we're going to reverse that, and we're going to at least put it back to where Attorney General Schimmel had it when he left. I also will work with the legislature immediately to, to begin adding prosecutors and to begin adding um, special agents to DCI 
because our law enforcement around the state, particularly in the rural areas of this state, are drowning and they need help. And so we have to do that almost immediately. Those things simply can't wait. Um, and, it, and it comes kind of hand in hand with setting a new tone out of DOJ, which is going to be a, we're not, we're not going to be soft on crime anymore. These repeat violent offenders are going to spend time behind bars. We are going to prioritize victims, not criminals. So from the law enforcement side, that's going to be one of the top, top priorities. Um, one of the other top priorities that people should be thinking about is we now have four separate investigations of the last election. We have the nonpartisan LAB Legislative Audit Bureau report. We have Sheriff Schmalling from Racine County's report. We have the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty put out a report last week. And we have Justice Gableman. Um, he hasn't wrapped up his investigation, but, but he's still working on, on it and has begun to, to put forth reports. Each one of those reports identify serious systemic problems with our election process, um, from malfeasance to an outright refusal to follow the law. Our attorney general has not done a thing about it. In fact, he's mocked the very idea that we would investigate elections. And to me, it's absurd. In the face of all of that information, it shouldn't be a partisan issue. We should be investigating those those instances that are identified in those reports and, and making sure that our elections are safe and secure, making sure we make the changes that are necessary and working with the legislature to make sure DOJ has the tools necessary to prosecute people if they have violated our election laws. Uh, the election process is the cornerstone of our entire republic. And if, we, if people can't trust their election process, can't trust that their vote counts and it's not being diluted, it, it starts to have the entire foundation crumble beneath it. So that's going to be a, a, an important priority. Um, and, and finally, I think you asked for two or three, so I'll give you the third one. Ooh, we, um, get, we get the bonus. We get the third one. All right. Yes. Yeah, so, so the third one will be to join into these lawsuits that are pending across the country already with other attorneys general that Josh Call has stayed out of. Wisconsin needs to not only be a party to those lawsuits to make sure that our people are protected and our state sovereignty is protected, but we need to start leading in some of those lawsuits as well. We're, we're not Florida and we're not Texas and we're not Alabama. We have different needs, desires, and priorities in Wisconsin. And so we need to be a party to those suits to make sure that our voice is heard. So, and let me, let me just, I'm, I want to go back to one thing because I, I catch a lot of flack for this because I am the small voice in the background that says, if you focus too much on the past, you're not going to focus on the present and the future. Sometimes conservatives, a lot of times conservatives have a hard time walking and chewing gum at the same time. I have said very publicly, the decertify movement and, and, and all of this stuff these are things that are just sucking away power, right? That you would have to focus on other things. I do like what you're saying when you're saying, hey, we've seen abnormalities, we've seen malfeasance, we've seen these things in our elections. If we cannot have free and fair elections where people feel like their votes count, right? And people feel like there's no shenanigans, um, then we've lost a major pillar of, of our republic. And, and I think that 
the and the latest thing, and and I don't I don't know this just came out literally yesterday, um, that the Build Back Better, you know, socialist agenda, trillions of dollars in spending for your children and your children's children and my children's children, um, is dead. That's not going to happen. And now the Biden administration is pivoting towards more of a federalization of our election system. And so, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm very specific in that. I'm not a part of the decertify, you know, that movement. I don't think that movement goes anywhere and it sucks the energy out. But really, I like what you're talking about, because, yes, there are some things you you cited four different reports that said, hey, this, this, these things are happening. Our current attorney general doesn't want to pay attention to that and, and, you know, basically laughs it off. But what do we do when you don't have an electorate that feels like they have any confidence in there? And I'm hearing from you, it sounds like as, as AG, you're going to help us restore that confidence. Well, let me just give you a couple of specific examples of what absolutely has to get fixed. And there's, there's far more than this, but there's just a couple of really um, easy examples for us that we should all agree on. So in Sheriff Smalling's report, um, from Racine County, he specifically focused on uh, a couple of nursing homes and had deputies there that interviewed people because in those nursing homes, typically they would get six or eight votes per election out of there. And all of a sudden they had 40 residents vote in 2020. And so he spoke to the family members of some of those residents who specifically said, my mom or grandma or dad or grandpa is not capable of voting. They, they don't even know what day it is. They have no idea that there's an election. They would never vote. So clearly there was something going on there that warrants investigation. We should not be having our elderly uh, taken advantage of and exploited and in effect having their votes stolen. And it's pretty clear that's what went on. The other thing that comes out of Justice Gableman's report is a, it's a really technical problem, but it's a really important problem because of the, the tech billionaire that some of you have heard of, Mark Zuckerberg, putting in all of this money into the um, five largest cities in their electoral process. What had happened there, that's bad and shouldn't happen, but one of the specific things that's happened is the, the left is able to get um, up-to-date, immediate, real-time information about who's already voted because they're funneling that through these left-wing organizations that, that have been a part of this funding. And the Republicans don't have that. We get the information or our, you know, kind of Republican-leading groups do to help turn out to vote, but it's like seven or eight days later. It's a major, major structural disadvantage. And I can, I can live with losing elections. That happens. What I can't live with is the idea that we're playing on an unfair playing field, that it, that it just, that, that we have two different sets of rules. And we, we also have that with early voting. People that live in rural parts of the state understand that if they want to early vote, what they often have to do is actually call the clerk of their little town and make an appointment to show up to vote. That's not the case in Madison, Milwaukee. They just have these long early voting hours. Totally unfair. Same kind of deal with the ballot drop boxes. They have them in the cities. We don't have them in the rural areas. So structurally, we have to fix these issues so we're playing on an even playing field. There's more, but those are big issues that people should automatically be able to say, well, it's not a partisan thing. We should be able to have fair elections that treats everybody equally and every vote equally. 
Yeah, and and I and I and I agree with that. I think you you bring up the the um the process and and yes, elections uh you know are lost. I mean, look at the absolute horrible candidacy of Bob Dole. Bob Dole, good guy, right? I mean, just passed away. Um horrible candidate and and got beat very handily right because of a lot of different things so yes you do win some yes you do lose some but we want the election to be fair we want the election you know two of the things that i saw that were just egregious to me um was the voter id you know making sure that if i show up um i am who i say i am and then the ability to clear off these rolls, um, you know, for people who are dead. We obviously don't want dead people voting. That's not a good thing. Um, and that's two of the things that I know the Biden administration is going to be pushing as a part of their uh, free and fair election, whatever, you know, label they're going to try to slap on it. And, and I just don't think that the current AG has uh, any sort of intestinal fortitude to stop that. He's going to go along to get along. He just wants another another term to, uh, you know, keep supporting that leftist agenda that obviously takes us down the toilet. So, um, Adam, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We're going to do what I call the lightning round. The lightning round is just a series of goofy, fun questions. It allows us <laughs> to get to know you more as a person, um, because behind every suit, behind every, you know, uh, platform, uh, there's a person. And, and I think sometimes we we miss that um, in our candidates and knowing who exactly our candidates are. So um, lightning round for you. Are you a dog person or are you a cat person? Dog. Okay, dog. So that's good. You can you can be elected to almost any office. Uh, cats <laughs> cats are the only um, animal on the planet that will literally hate you, but then say no, give me affection and feed me, human. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> um, all right, now you're on a plane and you are going to be given your choice of aisle, window, or middle seat. Now let me just tell you, middle seat. If you choose it, it almost makes you a terrorist. So what do you choose, middle aisle or the window seat? Aisle. I'll see. Okay. I, I like the aisle. Uh, it's always a little bit more room. I'm kind of a larger fellow. So, you know, that that's a good thing. I can definitely understand that. Uh, you know, when people say I prefer the center, I look at them like they got a third eyeball in their head. That's just insanity <laughs> to me. Um, favorite type of food, favorite type of food, Mexican food, Italian food, Asian food, Thai. What's your favorite type of food? Oh, I'm a Wisconsin boy. You give me a ribeye medium rare and I'm a happy guy. <laughs> and, and and you're done, right? You're you're done at that uh, point. I like that. Yep. Good, a good steak. And and again, you know, often these are the screener questions. If you would have said, you know, hey, I like a steak and uh, I like it well done, I, I would say your candidacy's probably over at that point. Oh man, Let's... I have one of my best friends. Well, you probably know him, Rob Staffschold, our state senator. Yes, he yep. likes his steak medium well. And I'm like, dude, why don't you just lick cardboard? It's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then there's part of the crowd that says you know a1 uh heinz you know what what are you putting on it and i just look at them and i just bless your darling little hearts and your stupid little minds come on man uh man, this if is... you can't if you can't eat a, a steak with maybe a little bit of salt and pepper that just means you don't like the flavor of steak and you shouldn't go go eat tofu or whatever and and you know maybe this just isn't the best country for you no i'm kidding um <laughs> we, we have room for all those people i you know i like tofu i'm not gonna lie to you i i do uh, enjoy it every now and again huge uh, protein source so um all right there's that um now if you could have a conversation spend an afternoon have lunch with any person and uh, historical or person alive or dead, who would that be? And what would you talk about? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, it would almost have to be Jefferson. 
Okay. Because, you know, as the author of the Declaration of Independence and so much of what we live today, I would love to get inside that guy's head and understand what he what he was thinking when he wrote some of those things and, you know, what his fellow patriots were thinking at the time. I mean, people don't don't give enough credit to the unlikelihood that the that the American Revolution would succeed against what was then the greatest military power in the history of the world. So how does a rich guy like Jefferson decide to put it all at risk to do what he did in such an unlikely manner? And I just love to get inside their head and, and, and understand their thinking better. Yeah, you want to talk about a guy who who basically had it made that was literally extending his neck on the chopping block. If this doesn't work, we all die, right? I mean, this right. is this is something that's uh, make no mistake about it. It ain't that they're going to put us in prison or they're going to give us a slap on the wrist. Um, this is death by hanging, and they're going to line us up in front of our families, and they are going to hang us. And not only for what we've done, but as an example as to everybody coming after what not to do, right? I mean, I, I think you you make a, an interesting point there. It's like what's going through that guy's mind, and then what were his influences that said, you know, I'm writing the, the Declaration of independence and i'm going to use this verbiage these words where did that all come from i think that's uh that would be fun i mean we've had we've had lincoln we've had um a lot of different different folks but you're you're the first uh uh jeffersonite that that uh i have and i think that's very telling so talk to me as we close out talk to me about some dates talk to me about um what you've got going on so um obviously everybody knows when the general election is when is our um you know party nominations talk talk to me about that so we can get a good sense of of where we're going uh in 2022 Right. So January will actually do the official campaign kickoff and announcement sometime in the first couple of weeks of January. Um, I'll start the fundraising process then. So, um, you know, part of part of campaigning is is raising enough money to get your your message out. And I've got all kinds of meet and greets and party events that are already scheduled for for January and February. So it's going to be a very busy time, particularly February when we have the caucuses and the Lincoln Day dinners. Um, and then the state party convention is uh, late May, or early June, something like that, if I yep. remember correctly. Yep. And then we're going to have the um, actual primary in August. And the general election, of course, is in uh, November. All right. So we're excited. I think that, uh, you know, part of the mission of this of this show is to introduce folks and to and to track folks. So please do me a favor. We will definitely check in again and let us know how things are going. Um, we'll get things like your website put up and we'll do all of that. Best place to look at you now would I, I would say would be Facebook. Correct. Find you on Facebook. But I've got a Facebook page at Adam Jarko for Attorney General. My website has a little splash page right now. I was talking to the guy that's doing it uh, last night, actually, and I think it will be up maybe this weekend. Nice. Um, it's just adamjarko.com. It's just a splash page for now, but it should be um, ready to roll this weekend, I think. So um, either one of those. And if you're a, a Twitter person, it's I think the real Adam Jar is my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Jarko, I have so appreciated this time getting to meet you. I, I hope and pray that this is not the last time we talk. I want to hear um, the nifty, cool, interesting, maybe some of the weird things that you see on the campaign trail. So hopefully we'll have you back and we'll get an update on what's going on. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Sounds great. Have a great day. All right, you too. So that was a great interview. I really enjoy talking to Adam Jarko, and I really hope that people will give him the opportunity to earn their vote. I'm not telling you to go out and vote for this person, vote for that person. Um, the coveted Mike is always right. Uh, podcast endorsements will not be out for several months like anybody cares. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you to do your research. Uh, Adam is a great guy. I very much enjoy talking with him. I think he will do a great amount of work in the AG department, uh, specifically when it comes to not only protecting our rights within, so getting our law enforcement on the same page, running the DOJ accordingly, but our rights from without. So making sure we don't have government overreach, making sure the federal government under uh, uh, President Biden, Sleepy Joe, uh, does not infringe upon our rights. So I would encourage you, look this guy up, find him on Facebook, go to his website. When he finally launches the ability to donate, donate money, give this guy a good look because I think he can do wonders. So as always, I appreciate you listening. Thank you so very much for your support. Until the next time, Pablito, play the music and let's take it home.